0: Hi, I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir. We're in Washington, D.C. I'm here with my sister, Debbie, co-founder of Share Our Strength. Deb, thanks for being here.
1: So excited to be here this morning.
0: Uh, And two people who probably know the most about food in Washington, D.C., of any two people that I know, one makes sense, Mike Isabella. Chef of 11, uh, chef and owner of 11 restaurants now. Uh, and, and just
2: opened up number 12 at just, the wharf. Which is, which one? Uh, requin at the wharf. It's our, our, our French restaurant. So. Fantastic. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. And Josh Wax, who's
0: not a restaurateur, he's a former chief strategy officer at Share Our Strength, but he could be because he's our go-to person whenever we need a food recommendation. (laughs) Um, And now, Josh, you're doing some consulting, but you've also got a really interesting blend of experiences in the public and private sector, both at the NBA as their vice president for community affairs, politically at the DNC as the Democratic National Committee as chief operating officer, but a lot of years working on the hunger issue. And uh, we're thrilled to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Mike, we're gonna start with you. Okay. Did you ever imagine you were gonna have twelve restaurants?
2: No, that
0: just seems crazy.
2: It's you know when I was younger, the only thing I had to do was cook, so I started cooking and then fell in love with it. And um, then I just always wanted to run a restaurant. And finally, when I started running a restaurant, I wanted to start opening restaurants and uh, for myself because I opened up for a lot of other chefs and restaurateurs. And then I'm just like. You know, I want to have more than one. I want to kind of get into the next level where I can give more of an experience to people where it's just like I'm not just giving you the food. I'm giving you the design and the service and the ambiance and everything else. Um, so I kind of fell in love with that as I grew. So, you know, obviously I'm not in the cooking anymore. Uh, I'm still a part of menu developments, concepts, everything. I do everything in my company. I make all the final decisions on pretty much everything, so it's a lot of work. Sometimes I wish I had one, one or two restaurants because of the craziness that I go through. But uh, it's definitely been fun and exciting, and to open up all these different cuisines—from Japanese to Spanish to Italian to Greek to French to fast casuals to airports to stadiums—I mean, it's it's a little bit of everything. So it's been it's been exciting and intense at the same time, and this has definitely been a busy year for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Grafiados
0: was the first, right? We were talking about that a few moments ago before we went on here but that was your first restaurant and it's the one my sister and my whole family just go to as our it's our number one restaurant
2: in Washington. Awesome I appreciate. It. Yeah, we opened that up a little over 6 years ago. And then, a little over six years later, we have twelve restaurants. Yeah, so that, that that's actually kind of the crazy part when you think
0: about it, because I know other restaurateurs who have you know ten restaurants or twelve restaurants, but not in six
2: years. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Just, I just and
1: so it, many different concepts. I y- mean, yeah, you know, everything from Greek to Japanese to just everything under the sun.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I don't know how it all happened. It just happened so fast and. You know, we have Isabella Eatery opening up uh, in Tyson's Galleria that has nine concepts A so bunch of them that are familiar to what we do, some a couple new ones. It's going to be a big, big property, 42,000 feet of, of just pure food emporium mayhem of anything you want, anywhere you want. Can't wait. <laughs> and Josh, uh,
0: Debbie and I are two of probably 100 people that when we need a restaurant recommendation, we email <laughs> or call or text you. How, how did you turn out to be the person who knows so much <laughs> about food?
3: I, I'm a good eater, fundamentally. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I believe, as I'm sure Mike does, that food is so central to life, as a way of bringing people together, uh, as a way of nourishing uh, their minds, their bodies and their souls. And uh, I've just over the years um, became a, a someone who appreciates great food and the role that, that, uh, that food plays um, uh, with our family.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because it's just like when we opened up Graffiato, I was like so nervous, my first restaurant, and I was, you know, doing the training also for my front of the house staff. I'm like, everyone that walks in this door is like coming into my house or my grandmother's house, and what is she going to do when you walk in? She's going to ask you if you're hungry, make you a drink, make you some food, put some food on the table. Very uh, Italian-esque from, you know, the way I grew up. And that was the mentality. I was like, just make it very warming. And, uh, and it is. It's like breaking bread and, you know, having fun with your friends or your family and, and things like that. And, you know, we did the whole small plate thing at Graffiata originally because there's not a lot of big families out here. It's a lot of, you know, two people or three people. So we wanted them to get a bunch of food on the table to really enjoy it. And that's, you know, kind of feel the same way that you do.
1: Mike, mm. I, you know, I, I was reading that you, um, the secret sauce, and I find this interesting because it's share of strength, our secret sauce is talent. We know that talent trumps all, right? And something I read, you said that training, hiring right and training is the secret sauce. And I, I guess I'd love to kind of hear, um, you know, what those skills are that you look for when you're hiring, both the front of the house and in the kitchen.
2: Yeah, you know, kitchen, kitchen for me is um, young and young and eager people, uh, cooks who who, who want to learn and grow, who are ready to work hard, or you know, also come from good backgrounds from other good uh, restaurateurs. Like I always look at their resumes, and I can tell. If, if where they've worked and wh- what kind of food they're turning out. Before, I kind of know that right when I just look at a resume. So for me, it's, that's a little bit more easier for me in the kitchen because I've just worked in, worked in the kitchens a lot. With the service end, end of it, it's just um, you know, it's more of the inter- interview process and uh, the interview process of seeing if they're a smart person, see if they really care, see if they're really eager. Uh, it's more of a personality than anything because if they have that personality that that really seems like fun and bubbly and exciting and and, and driven uh, I could work with all those types yeah, of can people. Can train for everything else. Yeah, yeah pretty something
0: much. Danny Meyer talks a lot about in terms of you know you you can't you, you know he hires for emotional skills, right? You yeah. can teach people the technical Skills, but it sounds like you look for the same thing.
3: Yeah, def- definitely do. So I'm curious about how, Mike, you think about innovation, right? As an aspiring foodie in my 20s, I went to restaurant school in New York, how to open your own restaurant. I was completely overwhelmed by this. And I see this, you know, you, what you've done over the period of a relatively short time is incredible. Um, in the social sector, where, where I spend most of my time working, we're always thinking about innovation. I'd be curious about how you've thought about that.
2: You know, I do a lot of r and D. I I travel the world a lot. I travel a lot to Europe or South America or all over the United States. I try to hit all the new restaurants. I try to see, check out the new designs, see the cocktail programs, hit the bars. It's just really, you know, inspiration to me is, is what all the other chefs and mixologists are doing around the world. And they're, they're a big part of my success, whether I worked with them or not, just from, you know, So you're that. picking
0: up pieces of it everywhere you go.
2: Yeah, you're picking up pieces of it. And then when I do, like, ethnic uh, concepts, I, I travel to the countries, like I was just in Morocco and and southern Spain and stuff when we did a rose and just eating a lot of classic dishes and, you know, understanding where, where where that history comes from and being able to say, okay, let me take that and let me make it the way I want to make it and the way I think people would really enjoy it, you know, make it a little bit different. When we were working on the rose concept, we wanted to do southern Spain and northern Morocco because uh, there's a lot of similarities in those cultures. And uh, also we, we we also had Valencia, uh, which is like the the kingdom of of paellas, and uh, eating all these different paellas was uh, really inspiring. But you know, you have a lot of Spanish restaurants like you know Jose and and a bunch of other other restaurants that that paellas, and I wanted to have something like that, and I just didn't want to do something classic in Spanish. So we do uh, bombo rices, which is, which is the type of rice, and uh, we have a lot of cool toppings, whether it's lobster on top or whether it's aged duck on top, or, like, different sauces and garnishes and vegetables. So we have this awesome rice dish called the bombo rices, and uh, that was a huge inspiration, and some of the spice work in there came, is coming from Morocco, like our el uh, hanout and things like that that we get imported in from Morocco. The social
0: sector, you don't uh, necessarily have the same opportunities to go and to see all the time and stuff like that. How do you think about that, Josh, in terms of some of the organ? You're, You're kind of consulting now to a number of nonprofits that are trying to really create transformational social change.
3: Yeah, Wholesome
0: uh, Wave, I know, is one of them. Uh, you have talked about Really l-
3: working with organizations, whether or not they be nonprofits, philanthropies, or, or companies, on how they can expand their social impact and how they can think about growing, uh, reaching more people, and doing it in a sustaining way that also helps their bottom line, right? Um, uh, so um, those organizations that want to go to the next level, mostly in the food and nutrition space. Uh, give folks us an like, example. The Urban School Food Alliance is a coalition of ten large urban school districts from around the country that serve about three million kids over three quarters of a billion meals each uh, each year, uh, with a budget for food and food-related supplies of uh, over five hundred million dollars a year. Who basically come together and said, "Look, together we can collectively." through our joint purchasing power, be able to change, radically change, the school food market, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Change the fact that kids are eating mostly processed, um, uh, um, non-organic food that isn't produced in an environmentally sustainable way. And so they've come together to um, essentially try to change the school food market by forcing prices down and increasing the nutritional value of what's ate, it being eaten and served, and uh, changing the school food environment in a way that's also uh, sustainable.
0: Do you end up working with chefs doing that? Uh, I mean, who who in the Urban uh, School Food Alliance knows the most about food?
3: Yeah, um, there definitely are, you know, a lot of chefs who've now gotten involved on a school-by-school level Um, in D.C., around the country, in trying to influence that school food. What we're trying to do with the alliance is essentially a little bit further upstream, which is we've got to change the procurement system right and so if you don't get the right ingredients it doesn't matter really who the chef is right to some degree so what the Alliance is really trying to do which is sort of interesting it's a public you know it's a it's a group of uh, school districts public entities right uh, that have formed a nonprofit that really is actually trying to affect the for-profit market and essentially to really change the market and to me the most interesting today um, with our situation the way it is, the most interesting social change that is happening is really across those sectors. And this mm-hmm. is a great example of it.
0: I'm sure the same is true in every restaurant that you have in terms of the ingredients, right? I mean, if that's that's got to be where it starts. Uh, how much yeah. attention do you pay to that?
2: Uh, very much. We work with a lot of different farmers and farms um, locally, you know, Maryland, Virginia, uh, wineries, uh, you know, getting your, you know, we get our whole animals in, we butcher them down, we f- utilize all all the parts, whether the innards, the legs, the necks, everything. You know, a lot of seasonality when it comes to the vegetables and the fruits and stuff, and changing your menus. And yeah, it's a very big part, a, a big part of the food. I mean, you're you're halfway there. And uh, you know, I remember when I went to uh, San Francisco my first time. I don't know how many years ago, fourteen years ago. And uh, I just ate a tomato out there, and like a peach in the summertime. I'm like, this doesn't taste like New Jersey, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, it, you know, because they always call it Cali- California, you know, cooking. And you realize it's it's about the ingredients, and that's what kind of changed it. It wasn't just about your techniques or your, or your spice blends or anything else. It starts with the ingredients that are grown, and that's what, you know, with working with some of the the programs for the schools and stuff is teaching teaching these kids about, you know. Um, what's, what's f- fresh and what's good and what's tasty and where to get it from and, and, it, and it is a little bit more expensive than processed foods. So it is a little bit tougher for, for, for them for that for that, yeah. for that uh, you know, fact. but um, I guess the more that everyone keeps working with the systems and the schools, the things it's only going to get better. Well, and
3: that's why that's why the idea of these huge districts essentially doing things together and being able to get much better prices for better food makes a lot of sense, right? This is a uh, an organization that's working on things like bringing organic lettuce into schools, antibiotic-free chicken into schools that, quite frankly, they couldn't, as Mike says, given the the tight tight budgets, they
2: can't actually afford to do on their own. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely not. I mean, some of these budgets are like you know dollar. A kid or something like that for their lunch budgets, and it's it's not easy, but it's growing and getting better. And uh, you know, the more work that we do, uh, it only can continue to get better. But it's crazy, you know. I mean, without processed foods, it, does, it seems like there's not enough farms to feed America. You know what what, right. what goes on down right. here right now. So
0: That's right. And, and so, how how have expectations changed, both privately and publicly? Your do your Do you sense that your guests have different expectations in terms of the ingredients and where their food comes from? And and obviously the school systems are trying to,
2: are are you, I guess one of my questions is, are you leading or following or both? You know, it's a little bit of everything. I I think nowadays everyone knows what they're eating. I mean, you you go to Whole Foods or one of the stores, people are looking at the ingredients on the back. Is there glutens in there? Is there carbs in here? Is there sugars in here? Is it, uh, I think everyone, everyone thinks they're a foodie, which is a good thing. Um, (laughs) you know, everyone seems to know about uh, food uh, way, way more with the internet and all the food cooking shows and, and all the great markets. And yeah, people are very much more familiar with food and you can't, you can't just get away with stuff anymore. I mean,
1: think of the expectation in DC, right? Just in this town of good food and, and, and starting to really understand what ingredients, what, you know, what different ingredients taste like and, and all the different foods from around the world which yeah. we now have in Washington. So, I mean, I just feel like the expectation has gotten so high that it's going to it's going to be partly demand, I would imagine, on you, you know, to keep
2: that to keep that level up. It 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 really is, you know, we 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 felt that, you know, we opened up Graffiato 6 years ago, uh, and you know, it was a chef-driven concept where the chefs in the kitchen and he's I'm, I'm co- cooking food that I grew up with, pizza and pasta, you know, but it was it was really cool and fun to have the have a chef in there. And, and, and
1: pepperoni sauce.
2: And you and can't forget the pepperoni <laughs> sauce. And, you know, with all these new chefs from whether they're local guys or celebrity guys or out-of-town guys, whatever it is, uh, everyone keeps pushing the envelopes. They're pushing the envelopes with, with everything that goes on with the food. And the level of the food has really, really grown in the city. And there's so many great chefs, so many great restaurants uh-huh. from every level. And I'm just talking about even a taco truck. You know, you can get some amazing stuff. I mean, anywhere across the board. So it's definitely been really cool to be a part of it, but it's definitely they're pushing the envelope, and we have to keep striving to stay on top.
3: And I think when it comes to a, a school environment, I think you're right, that expectations have driven have increased Excellent. tremendously. Um, you know, part of that is thanks to the work that uh, you, Debbie, and Billy, have have led with share our strength to increase the number of low-income kids who are actually getting school meals. What's happening is the parents of those kids are saying, yes, we want to get our kids access to those meals, but we care about what is in those meals. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's increasing, pressure right. on the districts to do that. Right. Um, uh, parents are saying to districts, we want to be able to have similar products that you're actually serving in in schools at home. So we want cleaner labels on your products with less items on it. Um, uh, we want more organic items. Um, we want more environmentally uh, sustainable
1: items and, and as Josh, well. And a program that you helped us get started, which was Cooking Matters, you know, Um, the the grocery tours, right, really giving uh, low-income families the information they need when they're shopping to understand how to purchase on a budget, how to read labels, how to understand, you know, uh, how to cut up a chicken instead of, you know, buying the whole chicken, all these things that um, we've been we've been able to do through cooking matters. I think that you absolutely you know helped us. It, it, in such a big all way. these
3: pieces have to work together, right? Nutrition right. education in uh, you know to help families at home, um, out of school. The type of nutrition incentives that Wholesome Wave is doing, which is really about getting low income families affordable access to fresh fruit and vegetables. Because when those families actually are able to afford fresh fruit and vegetables, they buy it and they prepare it. And the work that we're doing. Uh, in schools, to make sure you know low-income kids, uh, about eighty percent of their calories come from school meals these days, right. uh, thanks to the work in part that you all are leading.
2: Every uh, angle, uh, you all have those to pieces hit work together. Every angle. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of it's a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work.
0: How do you guys think? You know, we're in Washington is first and foremost in a way a political town. Um, How do you think about uh, politics in your industry? There's lots of there's I think of politics like with a small P and a large P in the sense that there are political battles that are being fought over things like immigration and minimum wage and things like that that have to affect you. Um, and then there's the kind of the smaller politics. I know that you started uh, out, I think, working with Jose Andreas yes. uh, when you first got here, who's now in Puerto Rico doing what many people think of as heroic work. It's a it's a different way of getting involved as a as a citizen. Restauranteurs get asked to do just about everything. How do you sort out what you do in terms of community engagement? And do you think of it as political
2: or philanthropic? Or you know, I I, I I like to I work with a lot of different uh, foundations to raise money for them whether they're competitions by having sandwich competitions on which chefs can sell more and dollars go to eat sandwiches or whether it's working with Share Our Strength or whether it's doing all different types of events Um, you know Uh, Working with Jose was probably the first chef that really gave back more than I've seen anyone before. That was probably one of the biggest things I've learned from him because, you know, I've worked in New York and Philly and Atlanta and Jersey, and it was never about that. And the camaraderie in the city with all the chefs and the amount of charity fundraisers and stuff that were going on, I've never seen something like that before. And he was always pushing, pushing, pushing to really like give back, give back because he became very successful. Am I, and you worked with Jose at uh, Jose Adres at Satanya? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I was a chef there for yep. about four years. Um and uh you know it was it was just really inspiring to see that. And then and that kinda, kinda brushed off on me to kinda do as much work as I can and give back as I can uh with different foundations and different charities. I don't I don't I I don't know if I look at it from a political standpoint, I just look at it as as part of it like, you know, like I People gave put a lot of time into me to help me get to where I am, and I try to, I try to do the same back for them.
0: Mike, I know that you worked uh, initially with uh, Jose Andreas, uh, yeah. who uh, is the chef at Zetania and many other restaurants here in Washington, D.C. Now in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria and has been there for some number of weeks doing amazing work, really setting up a feeding program. Deb, uh, you've been in touch with Jose's people.
1: Yeah, he's got uh, – last time I talked to Jose, he has about eight feeding centers set up, and he is doing uh, 100,000 meals a day. Wow. He started out at, you know, 10 or 20,000, but now he's doing 100,000 a day. He's up to 700,000 meals that they've delivered. That's, that's amazing. I mean,
0: everybody keeps expecting that he's going to turn up back here, but he's been there for weeks and yeah. weeks, really, since the So he, the he, he was supposed to happened. be on a
1: panel uh, at the New York Food and Wine Festival this past weekend. I don't know if you're out there, mm-hmm. but he was supposed to be on a panel and he he had to cancel because he's in Puerto Rico. But instead, he shot a video on his phone from a helicopter and somehow got it to... <laughs> the folks at the festival wow. you know as he's doing like a food drop he's just he's incredible yeah he he
2: really is. Yeah. it's about giving back for him at this point of his career i mean he's accomplished everything you can accomplish from awards to restaurants to everything and um, just really made an impact on our dining scene and and it's, and it's great to have worked for him and you know and be a partner with him in the city i, I do some work with his, with uh you know for world kitchen Both also yeah. kitchen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um yeah you know it it's been it's been a great experience to be a part in a city like this and i, I think you know, these are the reasons why we we are on the top of the game in in the country for for doing what we're doing. You know, from from you know policies and and cooking and food and chefs and the combination of everything. It's it's just it's really special. I don't think there's anyone any city like this in America that's doing what we've done across the board.
1: You know, what I'm excited about about the DC scene is yes, we've had a few chefs coming to open up restaurants from other cities, right, from Boston and New York, but mostly we've had homegrown. Mm-hmm. That's the cool thing. So it's not just you know, chefs coming in to open up their restaurants. They've done some of that, too. But we've got our own DCC now that's really vibrant and really robust.
2: Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, and I just remember coming out here, you know, 10, 11 years ago, and, like, I was running Zetina and Scott Druno was running— uh, the source and Vic Alviso is running uh, BLT, and Nick Stefanelli is running Viviana, uh, and it's just like and Heider's running Proof, and now everyone right. has like restaurants or multiple restaurants, <laughs> and it was just like you know, it was it's, it's just really it's really cool to see because you had that wave of like before that Michelle and Jose and 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 Todd Gray and those guys, and a lot of us worked underneath them, and then now we're all like the next level. Now people work underneath us, and now they're starting to open up restaurants.
0: Uh. Josh, I want to get you into the political question as well, because you're kind of a political creature. Um, somebody came up to me at— um, somebody... Thanks, Billy. <laughs> 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 no, you are. Yeah. I mean, you're very politically savvy. Um, These days, <laughs> that's not exactly although, a label. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure any of us understand politics anymore. But how do you think about you know the role of—you're working with a number of different— social sector organizations. Do they need to become more political? Is there a line that we shouldn't cross?
3: So the social sector um, is the portion of society uh, devoted to uh, making our communities a better place, whether or not it be foundations, nonprofits. Uh, I I think that um, there's a growing awareness that um, they need to work with government in some capacity to be successful and to ultimately scale. Regardless of what 's going on in Washington, in fact, you know what i found and, and really i think we, we initially came upon this at, at share our strength was, is that um, the places to get things done in today 's government are on a state and local level it 's not here in washington mm-hmm. it 's clear Washington is broken, right um, whatever side you sit on on this. But
0: both sides feel the same way about that. Absolutely, both sides would agree.
3: But on a state level, you know, essentially those folks are so much closer to the people, what they're dealing with every day, their struggles, their challenges, and in fact, they've been forced uh, to. They've been forced because of the federal, and and they um, uh, they control a lot of the implementation of what goes on in Washington right? And so we know that on the food and nutrition programs, right? Governors actually can play a key part in expanding the reach of those programs. So to me, you know, one of my realizations in recent years is to sort of push the organizations I'm working with to focus less on what's going on in Washington and more what's going on in their state. And it actually matters who is governor. It actually matters who is mayor, You know, in the big picture, I was fortunate enough to go see Springsteen on Broadway uh, last week, and you know, he made a comment at some point about the craziness that's going on uh, in this country, and he quoted Martin Luther King, um, a quote that said something about uh, the arc of uh, uh, moral universe universe is
0: long, but it bends towards justice. Yes,
3: yes, yes, and basically, you know, why aren't I
0: on Broadway? (laughs) (laughs) And the
3: sense that you know. We got to hang in there. And this time, too, will pass.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I mean, we can't let you off the hook without, you know, giving us a review of Springsteen on Broadway.
3: Unbelievable. I mean, it was uh, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. I've seen him in concert probably a couple dozen times. But this was a unique experience in him uh, raw. Um, in front of 900 people, oftentimes not even using a microphone, um, uh, singing, but also telling stories about his uh, his life and his experiences and his perspective with incredible uh, um, depth, but also humor um, at the same time.
0: I read one review that said, first of all, it's not it's not just a small concert, right? Don't think of it that way because it's much more intimate than that. But it also talked about how kind of both self-deprecating and honest he was. He he. Sure. Part of the interview I said, read, he said, you know, he said, I'm a fraud. He said, I, I wrote about working people. I've never worked a day in my life. Yes, he said, yes. I've just played music. I, and said, all I, I do
3: get, is write about I, working yeah. people. Said, all I do is five. write about
0: working people. I've never worked. I've never been on a it's construction site. I've never lifted uh, anything.
3: appreciate this, Mike, as a, a New Jersey native. He also sort of talks about how uh, you know, so many of his songs are about getting out of New Jersey, right, yeah. born to run, we gotta, you know, run, oh, you know, that, et cetera. About- Uh yeah, right. and so many of his songs are on the downside of New Jersey, and then he pointed out that he lives 10 minutes from his childhood home.
2: Right, he's, never, he's never really <laughs> left, he's never really left. <laughs> yeah, I, I... You have roots in New Jersey still? Yeah, I have roots in my brother, my sister, and my mom, they all they also live in Jersey, so uh, I don't get to go there that much, they usually come visit me, because I, I work a lot, but... uh you know uh i left jersey and just i wanted to travel and to see different things but uh you know jersey always has a big 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 uh, piece of me you know and um you always when cooking in new york and cooking in philadelphia People, it was always tougher for me because I was from New Jersey, and I'm just like, and I would tell them, I'm like, I'm like, I live 15 minutes from New York City. You live an hour away in Brooklyn. I was like, what makes you better than me as a cook or something like that? You know, like it's just crazy the way people think. Like if you don't live in that heart of the city, you're 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 a different person, and it's it's not true.
3: The other interesting thing about how he is using or not using his platform, you know, um, Springsteen is, you know, he talks about uh, essentially that um, uh, he wants to use his platform for social good through the messages of his songs, but um, if he does that too much publicly in the course of his concerts, you know, essentially uh, he knows that it becomes less effective.
0: Now, Mike, I'm not going to ask you to play guitar or anything, but do you think mm-hmm. of yourself now, because of the TV that you've done and the, the cooking competitions, you have a little bit of a platform as well, and how do you think about that? How do you... Use it. You mentioned your mom in New Jersey. What, what what's she think of the fact that you're on TV and you've got this platform?
2: I mean, every, everyone's shocked in my family, including myself. I don't, I, I, you know, yes, do I have some type of platform? I guess uh, I do. I, I, I always try to be humble and be hardworking because that's just what I come from, and I try to do whatever I can, uh, in any way I can, to you know help what's what's going on out there, what you know, with charities and things like that. But um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I do. I just never look at it like that. I'm always kind of more of a head down type of guy, and um, I'm in I'm in my restaurants a lot, and you know, you know you'll find me in the restaurants. The way we're talking about food
0: right now uh, it is, I think, connected to something that I know Debbie and I would love to get both of your advice on because one of the reasons we have structured Share Strength the way we have is because food is so universal, right? We could all we could talk about croutons, we could talk about brownies, we could talk about Greek food. Um, the number of people who care about childhood hunger is a relatively small number, but the number of people who care about food is infinite. How do we tap into that larger market? One of the things we're always thinking about is how do we use food to reach more people, to get them engaged? So we've done things like taste of the nation, which you have of course participated in, uh, uh, Mike, um, we've created food and wine events, Are there other ways that we should be thinking about food as a kind of a universal bridge to get people to connect to these issues where we think they could make a really big difference if they did?
3: Uh, I think you all have done a terrific job of articulating the connection between food and education, right, and hungry kids not learning. I think the other uh, area where, you know, the national dialogue is is around healthcare. Yeah. Um and I think there's a real argument to be made about food as medicine, right? And food as a as a preventive thing, uh food as a a real health intervention, you know. Um uh right now diet related disease has become the number one killer of Americans, right? 1 in 3 kids are obese. So the concept of health and food and making that connection right. at this time when health care um, and the health of our kids and of our elderly are so front and center in society seems like a oh, potential that's... place to, to absolutely to, right, to, right. To and you right.
0: know the root cause coalition has become a sponsor of this podcast for exactly that reason uh created by the aarp and by ProMedica. uh they believe one of their number one uh factors in their costs uh, are related to food and diet, as food you were just saying, and, is and, the one and, and, and they've made that a, a critical component of what they're doing. So I think that's an excellent point.
1: Another sponsor uh, that just signed on is Sedexo. Sodexo is the national food and hospitality company that provides uh, services and you know goods and foods to huge institutions like schools and hospitals and so on. And their interest in bringing young people, millennials, uh, into our work uh, is a priority for them, so we're going to be looking at shows where you know young people are thinking of ways to contribute back to this issue. Think thinking about it just beyond the hunger issue. Obviously, it's education, it's healthcare, it's all the things you're talking about. It's the economy, it's the workforce. I know our listeners want to
0: know what's next for each of you. We've kind of touched on it a little bit, and you've got the eatery, Isabella Eatery, opening up in um, November. November. Any that's got to be the biggest thing that's next, right? That's an enormous undertaking.
2: Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's definitely the biggest thing of my career. It's probably the big, the biggest uh, restaurant in uh, in in the D. M. V. area ever. You know, I mean, it's pretty monstrous of what we're doing. There's not many places like this in America, and something that has a similarity is Italy, but they're like half market, half restaurant. We're, we're like 90% restaurants, all restaurants. Global, globally, with some of them are breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch. I have five bars in there, uh, so you could do some, uh, some fun drinking and things like that, a little bit of retail. We'll have bands on certain days. I mean, there's going to be a lot of things going on in there, um, so that, that'll be the next project, and I'll, I'm going to slow down a little bit after that. I'll, I'll, I'll bet. We'll, we'll
0: see. We'll be watching. Uh, Josh Wax. How about for you and Wax Consulting or Wax Strategies? What's the, is that the name of the group? Uh,
3: yeah, and you know we're starting to do more with corporations and companies on how they can increase their their social impact, um, but do it in a way that's sustainable, which means doing it in a way that helps the company's bottom line ultimately, so that this stops being you know sort of the 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 piece of the business that's around giving back whether or not it be a a foundation or a, uh, CSR operation isn't just about doing good, but it's about doing good and doing well. Yeah. Uh, much of which I I learned from my work uh, leading corporate social responsibility at the NBA, you know, which has done a terrific job uh, in making that connection and encouraging its players and its teams to give back in an unprecedented way under the leadership of a mentor of mine, Kathy Behrens, but doing it in a way that helps, you know, the image and, uh, the health of the league overall.
0: Which is what makes it sustainable over exactly. a much longer, exactly. longer period of time. Which is our philosophy uh, also,
1: yeah. right? It's share of strength.
0: Thank you both so much for being here. Mike Isabella, congratulations on Thank your you. incredible success and in your growth. Isabella Eatery is coming up in uh, November. Can't wait. Um, and uh, really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was an awesome time today. Thank you, guys. Um, Thank you. And Josh Wax, your um, success with Wax Strategies, your work in the food space, um, just always a pleasure to reconnect with you. And I know that uh, listeners and your clients in particular can probably get Springsteen tickets through you. <laughs> I wish. Is that right? <laughs> uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks. And Debbie Shore, thanks. as always. Get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Capa who once said, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community, working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, that's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post. Don't just preach. Get your hands dirty and get involved. Ad Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Ad Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Ad Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.